millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. And we're in the extra time. Kia ora, welcome to Extra Time, a web-only podcast brought to you by RNZ Sport. I'm Matt Chitterton. Well, All Blacks coach Steve Hansen has ringed the changes for this Saturday's test against Argentina in New Plymouth. Winger Nehe Milner Scudder will play his first game for the All Blacks since the 2015 World Cup final. Fellow wing Israel Dag, centre Anton Leonard Brown, halfback TJ Pedinara, Lucy's Adi Savia, and Via Fafita, and Locke Luke Romano also get starts. But for two All Blacks, this weekend's game will be particularly special. The Barrett brothers, Bowden and Scott, are fizzing at the chance to play together as All Blacks at home for the first time. And as rugby reporter Joe Porter reports, Taranaki is tickled pink to have its favourite sons back. The Barretts have a big family, three girls and five boys all up, including All Blacks Bowden, Scott and Geordie. Geordie is injured, but Bowden and Scott will run out to a roaring knacky welcome in New Plymouth on Saturday night. They've been told to get extra tickets to the test, as the Barrett clan are bringing big numbers. Oh, it's not too bad. I gave that responsibility to Bodie. Um, He can deal with the tickets. Um, But I guess the good thing is we are playing at home, so mum and dad and the rest of the family don't have to travel across the country or even across the world, so... To come 30 minutes around the coast, it's, it's not all that bad to organise an extra couple of tickets. And Scott couldn't be happier to be home, showing off the family farm to his hungry all-black mates. Mrs Barrett's supposed to be cooking the scones, apparently. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but they're usually pretty good, so no pressure, Mum. <laughs> and according to prop Joe Moody, Mrs Barrett was on form. To be honest with you, I um, made a bit of a pick of myself on them, so... <laughs> Um, Mrs Barrett did a very good job on her cheese scones and her date scones weren't far behind. <laughs> Tim Stuck, Deputy Principal at Francis Douglas Memorial College, coached all but one of the brothers. He says the hospitality at the Barrett's farm is world famous in Taranaki. Uh, certainly uh, hosts people very, very well out there and it's a special little place what with the uh, Crowleys right next to them uh, down the coast so something must be in the water but they certainly know how to uh, breed some pretty talented rugby players. Stuck also taught the Barrett boys, but like any good Taranakiite, he's not about to dob them in. They're just regular, regular lads doing, uh, you know, boys at a boys' school. Um, I'm sure they got up to mischief occasionally, but nothing too serious. And I think I was a year 13 dean at the time. Couldn't have been too bad because I never had to send them home or anything. So um, just good, good lads. The Francis Douglas under-15s are in Wellington at a schools tournament, and such is their desire to see their old boys playing in New Plymouth, they're willing to make huge sacrifices just to get home in time. 
Depends yeah. if we make, make semis or finals or not. Hopefully we don't, so we can go home early and watch the game. <laughs> and there's no doubt who they'll be supporting. Go Bears! And while the city might be called New Plymouth, these Taranaki Tamariki know where Argentina are really headed. Barrettown! Another All Blacks win and the Barrettown movement might gain even more momentum. Joe Porter with that story there. Meanwhile, rugby's drinking culture has come under scrutiny in a much-anticipated review following the controversy last year over a stripper being abused and groped at an end-of-season party for the Chiefs. New Zealand rugby is promising that change is on the way after releasing its respect and responsibility review. Sally Murphy has this report. The review revealed that over the last four years, New Zealand rugby has investigated 36 cases of misconduct, including what it calls inappropriate sexual behaviour, violence and drug use. It doesn't give specific details of what happened, but says over half involved alcohol. Public submissions to the review highlighted heavy drinking as a serious problem. Respectful and responsible behaviour does not include binge drinking, brawling, especially in front of children, and intimidation by senior office holders. From my personal experiences, I believe that there are clubs who are happy to remain social. Therefore, the culture of boozing remains the same. New Zealand Rugby Chief Executive Steve Chu says despite having liquor companies as major sponsors, change is possible. I mean, what we can do around our own environment is obviously make sure that the education is very thorough. But in terms of getting it down into the community level, we're going to have to encourage clubs to take, a, take a, an approach to alcohol that is reflective of good, responsible hosting. So food, a range of alcoholic and non-alcoholic beverages, closing times at a reasonable hour, don't punish people with binge drinking, don't over-celebrate with alcohol. They're the messages we got through the review and they're very common messages throughout this drinking issue in New Zealand. The report gives the rugby union two years to start promoting sensible drinking and make the local clubs more family-friendly. Another submission in the report about club behaviour makes for disturbing reading. One night a woman was sexually assaulted in the toilets by a man who followed her in there. This behaviour, when we raised it, was written off as boys being silly. The management in that club are openly defensive of men and believe women act like sluts. Equal Employment Opportunities Commissioner Jackie Blue was one of a group of women who wrote an open letter to New Zealand Rugby calling for drastic culture change following the Chiefs stripper controversy. She wants faster action. I was really disappointed to see the actions around alcohol and drugs and behaviours, not only a medium goal, which wouldn't be looked at till 2019, 2020. And I just think it's more urgent. It needs to come in much much sooner than that. Did pubs need to go from rugby clubs altogether? Well, they may have to look at that because it's such an entrenched culture in our society, not just in rugby clubs, you know. Clearly the culture is going to have to change. Alcohol plays a major part in that and how the rugby union wants to sort of attack that it's up to them. But Miss Blue says the woman who wrote the open letter will still support what she calls a step in the right direction. Fiona McNamara from the Sexual Abuse Prevention Network applauds rugby's aim to get more women participating at all levels but says the review is vague on exactly how that will happen. What's missing is a really clear plan to address the culture that makes rugby unattractive for women and that makes it an environment where they may not want to or even be able to stay around. The review describes its goals as ambitious, and it will have an annual scoreboard on progress. RNZ's Sally Murphy with that story. 
Finally, from the New Zealand rugby world, Sevens veteran DJ Forbes has retired as the most capped player in World Seven Series history. Forbes played 89 World Series tournaments and a record 512 games. The 34-year-old played for New Zealand for 11 years, winning 26 tournaments and 6 World Series titles. He's also captain New Zealand to gold at the 2010 Commonwealth Games and to the World Cup title in 2013. He spoke with Joe Porter about the health of Sevens in New Zealand, his greatest achievements and why he's decided to hang up the boots. Probably a few reasons. Um, I, I think more than anything though, just yeah, having um, this year with a, sort of a, a decent off-season and then a, a big pre-season allowed me to, yeah, like we were talking about, you know, do the school drop-offs and pick-ups and school lunches and, you know, weekend sports even. Um, and it was, yeah, probably that kind of struck home, just being able to spend more time and, I think, you know, looking at the bigger picture of sevens, you know, um, if I'm being honest, you know, it's all about, or it should be all about, you know, the Olympic campaign, you know, and so uh, it was a, a bit of a stretch, you know, making it to that last one, but definitely uh, the chance available for 2020 was definitely out of the picture, so I think, you know, um, the time is right now with the new setup and everything else to to step away. I guess, what would you call your biggest achievement or your crowning achievement of your career? Um, I'd, I'd, I'd like to say, you know, that Olympic, I guess, campaign in general, just being able to be a part of all that, but, you know, that was we're kind of stripped Obviously, we were pretty disappointed on how we went, but you know, didn't really get to enjoy the experience either. Um, you know, given we're pretty, you know, proud of every nation, and um, I guess some of the slack we got you know, through that. But I think um, looking back, definitely that Com Games, probably gold medal in India. Um, you know, given the circumstances, and that was probably you know, as far as sevens went, you know, the Com Games and the World Cup were the pinnacle events back then. So um, definitely that first, you know, first official gold medal for me was a, a pretty proud moment, and you know, leading the country along and you know standing on that podium was a pretty pretty memorable one um oh no, probably the only other one i mentioned was that um that haka that went viral um in hong kong when we won that 20 you know uh it was what they call the black rain in in hong kong so the you know the city was on on gridlock and you know everything was sort of shut down torrential downpour and you know we belted out a, a pretty emotional haka you know and that was probably you know, a more recent event and probably why it's a little bit more vivid than some of the other achievements. But, you know, that was a, a pretty proud moment for me with the boys. You touched on it before, the Olympic cycle. That's obviously got to be the ultimate end goal is winning a gold medal at the Olympics and, I guess, returning New Zealand to the top of the world stage. What do you think needs to happen, I guess, for for New Zealand to get back to where they once were? Oh, and no, I, think, I think everything's in place now. I, um, I guess in today and um, everyone's sort of jumped on board and realised that... Um, you know, the the program needs to be centralised, so they've, they've made that step and, you know, the boys will be centralised uh, full-time, you know, by the end of the year, so I think that's really going to pay dividends and obviously, um, you know, with, uh, the, the new sort of setup of, you know, having a, a head coach and um, some assistant coaches with, you know, the, all the resource coaches available and everything, you know, everything's all in place, so, um, you know, I, I always knew that the team was going to be um, on the rise again and, I think it was just a matter of time and I guess it's been a bit of a transition period um, ever since, um, you know, the Olympics. And so, uh, you know, it was just a matter of, um, you know, trying to grind out and, and, and build some new players. And I, I think um, we've done that. And then, uh, you know, there's still got enough experience and enough leaders there to 
had a real good um, combination. So I'm, I'm really looking forward to what's in store. But, uh, you know, I, I know the boys will be um, back on top soon. So I think Sevens is in a good place at the moment moving forward. Well, I think that's enough rugby for one week. Turning our attention to international netball now, and the Silver Ferns have bounced back following their shock loss to England last week to clinch the quad series with a 10-goal win over Australia at the weekend. They followed it up with a 7-goal win over England last night in the first Tiny Jamison Trophy match in Potirua. Our netball reporter Bridget Tunnicliffe was at the game. I asked her what she's made of the Ferns' turnaround after a topsy-turvy start to the international netball season. Um, yeah, I think it's been pretty good, really. Um, obviously, there was the disappointment of the loss, the first loss against England, but they, the Ferns came back stronger in uh, the game last night in Porirua. Um I think, uh, without a doubt, England are a stronger, probably as strong as I've ever seen them. I think one of the issues in the past is there's been like one or two positions that haven't have been a little bit weak for them, but now they can truly like. Every every position that's starting seven, they're, they're all solid players. They're very talented players, and they don't have any weak links that they're sort of carrying anymore. Um, I think, obviously, the win against Australia was um, a huge confidence boost for the Silver Ferns. Um, uh, I think it was quite... Um, I think it was really pleasing that um, Southie went with Mez at goal attack just to try something different because you don't want to get too predictable and you know that Australia is going to keep studying and studying you. And so that pro- that move putting Mez out at goal attack probably took them by a little bit of a, a surprise, yeah. In in the shooting circle also, um, we saw the return of Maria Tutai last night. Uh, what did you make of her impact coming back after bereavement leave? Uh, she seemed to really uh, you know take it in her stride last night. Yeah, I mean, I think Mez and Tapai Sabi Rickett did an excellent job, obviously, um, on the weekend against Australia. You know, we didn't have two tyre and we still beat Australia. But um, she, and then she's definitely um, got the X factor. Um, it's just it's such a huge luxury to be able to get the ball to her. She just turns around and shoots. And you cut out some of those um, little passes that you have to do to, do to other shooters. Cause she actually, in some, a lot of ways, she prefers the longer shot. So it's definitely we are very lucky to have two tires. It's a real luxury to have a shooter like her. You're just minimising opportunities for the defence to get balls against you because you know you, you, it's a, you're not taking as many passes to get her the ball. Yeah, her range, uh, her shooting range has got to be some of the best in, in netball, international netball at the moment. Uh, at the other end of the court, we've got Kelly Jury. She's been a bit of a revelation for the Silver Ferns this series, particularly against, Caitlin, uh, against uh, Australia's shooter, Caitlin Bassett. What have you made of her impact so far? Yeah, um, without a doubt, her best performance so far was against Caitlin Bassett, and that's where you, that's what we've all been wanting for, really. Um she, yeah, her game against Bassett w- was was incredible. I mean, obviously she's got this this incredible height and reach, but I was also impressed with her footwork in that game. Um, she kept up with the movement this, of Bassett, and she really put off some of the feeds into Bassett because she was marking her so well, and she was she was matching her sort of pace. Uh, move for move. Um, so that was really promising. Um, she was a bit quiet in the game against England last night, um, but. Um, the 
the, the fact that we went through, um, Southbury brought up three, we had three goalkeepers last night. She started off with Jane Watson, then went to Kelly Jury, and then we saw Tim Melissi, Fakahokatau, make her come back into the Silver Ferns. And I, I just think that's going to be such a hard call for Southby to make when it comes to Constellation Cup and Com Games. Who is she going to leave out? Because we've got so, um, we've got about four or five excellent goalkeepers at the moment, but they're all, the, the thing is, they're all so different. They offer such different things. So it's going to be a really hard choice. That sort of leads me to my next question. Obviously, Southby has been blooding a few newbies into uh, the Silver Ferns camp uh, this these uh, past series uh, in, in the hope of getting them ready for the Commonwealth Games next year. Are you liking what you're seeing from Southby so far? I mean, this is her second year in, in the coaching job. Are you, are you liking the direction she's taking? Yeah, I, I, I do generally. I think... Um, I kind of think she has to has to do this. Um, there might be a little bit of short term pain for a long term gain, but she's she's coming at a difficult time when the, a lot of our um, veterans have been retiring, and you've got a couple of pinnacle events coming up, and you've with this the ANZ competition this year. Um, you know, half a dozen youngsters really put their hands up, and they they caught, you know caught my eye. They've they've, they've caught the eyes of you know Janine Southby and she just wants to make sure that she's got the best possible team to take to the Com Games and that means she, she kind of has to put them out um, on the court at this stage because um, this is sort of her only opportunity to do that. Just test them, see if they're good enough in this environment and then you know, take you know she might roll the dice and take a couple of um, bolters to the Com Games um, but they you know, they won't be completely green because I've had this time. She, she, I just think she needed to look at all these players. Well, fingers crossed they can go from strength to strength over the next six months to a year in the lead-up to Com Games. Thank you very much for your time, Bridget. No worries. The second Tiny Jamison match against England is in Napier on Sunday. Now, the top talent scouts from the NRL have descended on South Auckland this week for the National Secondary Schools Champs in Takanini. 24 teams from around the country compete in the annual event, which also doubles as a chance for scouts to find the next Sean Johnson or Roger Tuivasa-Shek. I went out to Takanini to do some of my own scouting. Go, Charlie! Go, Charlie! The National Secondary Schools Rugby League Tournament has been a breeding ground for some of the NRL's biggest names. Kiwis fullback Roger Tuivasa-Shek went through the system here and now he captains the Warriors at the ripe old age of 24. Now it's the next generation's turn. 17-year-old Jaden Little from Tokoroa High School may not aspire to be the next Tuivasa-Shek, but the back row does liken himself to fellow Kiwi international Jason Taumalolo. Little has an agent and hopes the scout from his favourite NRL team, Tamalolo's North Queensland Cowboys, notices his talents. You have a look on the sideline, there's about three scouts just watching your game. And yeah, it's just, if that doesn't motivate you to play, then I don't know what for. You know, your opportunity's there. They're right there watching. You know, if you want it, you just got to grab it. Jaden's also realistic that he's not the only one fighting for a contract. 
New Zealand Rugby League High Performance General Manager Brent Gemmell says that's something all young players need to understand. It's a very long and arduous pathway and only a very small percentage uh, do make that up, do make it all the way through so they need to have a very solid plan B and the majority of these boys here will obviously work like uh, normal folk and we'll have probably about out of the uh, couple of hundred we got here uh, we'll probably only have two or three go on to NRL careers. Those numbers may be low, but most of the players destined for the NRL have been signed to a club's development program before they turned 16. But Warriors recruitment manager Tony Iredo says that doesn't mean all is lost for the remaining players at this week's tournament. Most of the kids who go on to NRL careers you know, actually start their, their football here. And, you know, the good players tend to stand out, they're consistent, and, and they're, those are the ones you know, that, um, that that sort of trait that agents are also consider very valuable as well. As for Jaden Little, he hopes to be one of the few to get noticed this week. He's also buoyed by the fact that some of his friends from Tokoroa have found their way to a professional rugby league contract. Boys are just making the pathway for us and putting Toko on the map and uh, that's leading up to what could possibly be mine and other boys' careers one day. Well, I guess if all else fails for Jaden, well, there's always the Warriors, of course. Finally, when you think of mini-golf, you think of going out for a bit of fun with friends and family, right? However, it's more than just fun for a group of New Zealanders who are heading to Croatia for the World Mini-Golf Champs later this month, where they'll be taking on the best in the business. I caught up with two of them earlier this week before they flew out to Europe. New Zealand's had its fair share of success on the world stage when it comes to golf, thanks to Bob Charles, Michael Campbell and Lydia Coe. Now we have a group of nine New Zealanders, six men and three women, hoping to create some more golfing history on a mini scale. Jacques Van Ziel and Cameron Cooper are part of the New Zealand team. Cameron, who's also playing in the World Adventure Golf Masters, says the sport has a big future ahead of it. I've been trying to get into the IOC like, group of families for the sports. Um, they're looking at trying to get into the World Games in uh, Alabama and the USA, the next one. So yeah, they're, they're trying to make it a legitimate thing. It's, it's massive in Europe and it's been going for, like, you see YouTube clips and it's uh, 1960s, they got world champs going on in the same courses, so yeah, it's, it's pretty big up there. So, so you're playing in the adventure game, so I'm guessing that's more like the golf course we're at here at Treasure Island? Correct, yeah, so the first one I'm playing in is the adventure one, very much like these courses, maybe just on a slightly bigger scale. Uh, more slopes and yeah so it should be a little bit more friendly to prepare for anyway at least before the uh, main one on the 20th. And what does the main one involve Jacques? So you're playing on is it like a golf course like this or is it something you might sort of experience on a proper golf course? It's um, you play on a surface that they've just built to my understanding Um, that's called an eternit course it's very fast Um, the, the holes are all designed for you to be able to hit a hole in one on every hole. Um, however, there are strong consequences if you get that first shot wrong. Um, so, yeah, the aim is to, to to get everyone to try and go for that hole in one on every hole, and that's where practice, practice, practice uh, comes in handy. We we will have allotted practice times for every country um, in the three or four days leading up to it, which is uh, will be quite handy. So. <laughs> can do as much practicing as we can to try and you know give ourselves a good chance speaking of i mean the holes the, the clubs you use now i don't know if you can see this here but i've got a standard putter that you'd use at mini golf and i've also got a rather crappy 
standard dimpled golf ball in my pocket here. Um, there. So I understand you don't use these sort of balls though. I see that you've got in your hand there a smooth sort of golf ball, a lot different to the one I'm holding. And, and the putters too are a bit different. Can you explain what, what's behind those? Uh, well, the putters, they're a lot heavier down the end of it, down this end, and we've got obviously rubber on the front. With these balls, because there's like 2,000 different types of balls, uh, with a regular golf ball, obviously dimples fly through the air. Yeah. Because it's not leaving the ground, it's smooth. Most of them, they're almost like a squash ball. Yeah. They can, they, they sort of range from really hard to really soft. They'll bounce different heights. You can drop one from a meter and it won't bounce at all, <laughs> or you can drop it from a meter and it will come right back to your hand, sort of thing. So yeah, it's, a, it's all about the, the ball for the type of hole, yeah. depending on what you need it to do, um, whether you just need to hit the back wall and stop, or if you just need it to keep bouncing around. So. Yeah, it's a bit of a science in terms of like learning what kind of ball to use for which hole and how hard to hit it, so it's going to be a bit of a learning curve for us as well. Sounds like serious business, right? So much so, the World Anti-Doping Agency will be conducting tests to ensure participants are clean. I've been reassured the New Zealand team isn't taking performance-enhancing drugs. Going to an exotic location like Croatia to compete in the Mini Golf World Champs sounds like a pretty sweet deal, but it does come at a cost. The team's self-funded, but both Jacques and Cameron set up Give A Little Pages to help with some of the cost. Yeah, it's a bit of, bit of a hard one trying to sell it to people, say, hey, I'm going to go play mini-golf and <laughs> they're the world champs, and they're like, really? I thought you just played on like this and like mucked around. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, it'll be nice to be able to get some, uh, some more sponsors on board as well for the future, which would be awesome. The group's also teamed up with our neighbours Australia to try help cover some of the costs, but Jacques says there's more to it than just trying to be frugal. Worked with the Aussies to get a team from them going as well, so we're actually going to have a bit of a trans battle as well, which could be quite cool. Leaders like cup of mini golf. Pretty much, yeah. pretty much. So we might as well keep hold of that as well. Yeah. <laughs> well, that could be the start of another long-running trans-Tasman rivalry. Good luck to the New Zealand team. And that's extra time for this week. If you have any feedback, feel free to drop us a line at sport at radionz.co.nz. Otherwise, we'll catch you next week. Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads.